0: Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and alumni. I'm Kathy Havas, your host, and today we're talking with Lauren Brandt, the co-founder of Fatty Sundays, a company that creates chocolate-covered pretzels in an array of unique flavors that are customizable for any occasion. Lauren and her sister Allie founded the business to share their mom's famous rainbow sprinkle recipe with the world as well as other gourmet pretzel varieties. We're excited for her to share this sweet story. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And remember to rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom of the episode. We want even more young entrepreneurs to find the podcast and be inspired to follow their dreams. So welcome, Lauren. I'm so glad you could join us today.
1: Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Great. So, give us the short pitch about Fatty Sundays. I love the name. And tell us how you and your sister took the step to start the company.
1: Yeah. So, it all started when we were younger. Our mom has always been an amazing baker. She's always made us the rainbow sprinkled chocolate covered pretzels growing up. They were just like our favorite. They would be at all birthdays, events. Anytime she was making something, they were included. And in 2000, 2010 2011 we had the idea we can't really pinpoint exactly when it started but we had the idea to try different flavors and experiment with all sorts of chocolate covered pretzels at the time I was studying at Cornell my sister was working as a graphic designer one thing led to another and about a year later we had formed the company legally we had the LLC and then I ended up and this is the very fast-forwarded version, and I can get into the nitty-gritty after, but ultimately deferred my accounting job, and we decided to run with it. So we started full-time in the spring of 2012, just after I graduated. We started working out of our parents' kitchen, and then we moved into a shared facility, and then about a year later, opened our own kitchen space. And again, this has been since 2012. So it's been over 10 years now that we have been making all sorts of fun-flavored chocolate-covered pretzels, building this business literally one pretzel at a time. You asked about the name Fatty Sundays. We originally had a different name to start. It was not nearly as exciting or as memorable. And luckily enough, it was already taken within the food space, so we couldn't actually legally use it. And we always used to joke that Sundays in our family were fatty Sundays was our day to indulge and eat whatever we wanted. And so we landed on that and it, it stuck. And uh, here we are today, about 11 years later, which is bananas. It's, it's so wild.
0: <laughs> and so how do you and your sister split up roles in the company? Like what are your main things that you focus on and what are the things that she does? And then I'd love to talk about any new things that you're working on. I know you mentioned you have some new things coming out.
1: Yeah. So lucky for us, our skill set are completely opposite. Allie is a graphic designer, far more creative, focuses on the marketing. I like to consider her like the front of house and I'm back of house. So right when we started, we were both doing everything, mostly because we had no idea what to do when we started the company. So we were both doing everything and then slowly sort of separate paths, obviously very much interconnected, very much aware of what everyone's doing at, at all times. But she focuses on marketing, the creative, more sales efforts in that way. And I'm more accounting, logistics, manufacturing, sort of back of house. So I think lucky for us, our skills are completely opposite that we work very well together in that way.
0: So talk about the new things that are coming up for Fatty Sundays. What are you working on? Any new flavors or any new products or what kind of changes are you up with?
1: So like I said, back in 2013, we actually opened our own kitchen space in Brooklyn. If you asked me, I don't know, even like three years ago, what next steps were for the company, I would have told you we are going to have a Willy Wonka factory, larger than life, our own facility where it's rainbow sprinkles and chocolate flowing everywhere and just like a growing, booming factory in that way. But more recently, we've, we've dug really deep and as many companies evolve, things change and focus more on what you're good at and where you want to focus your time. And then we decided it was time to make the change to move to a co-packer. So this summer we actually closed our kitchen space, which was wildly bittersweet to say the least. Definitely a big shift, but now we are working with a great partner still in New York who has taken over production and shipping for us, which is Again, where I I definitely spent a lot of focusing of my time, but now I'm managing their team as a partner, right? They're not my day-to-day focus, but we are letting them do what they do best and allowing us to do what we do best, which is running the business from the sales effort side of things and less the day-to-day production. But they're using our recipes, our packaging, it's a very hands-on experience. So that's where we've spent a lot of our summer making that pivotal change for us, but we're excited and they have a significantly larger facility different equipment allow us to really grow and expand. We have brand new packaging coming out this fall. We're so excited about. We really spend a lot of our focus on the gifting aspect. So if you need a birthday gift, you could order that online. We do a lot of corporate gifting, so companies who have holiday events or client gifts, that sort of thing, we can customize the packaging with your logo, your messaging. So we do a lot of that and our Gift packaging, which I'm most excited about, is launching this fall. And it is the perfect, truly affordable and delicious giftable item. So I'm excited for everyone to see that in the next few
0: weeks. That's awesome. And there's something about like National Pretzel Day coming up, right? Isn't that October? Yes.
1: So we actually, one of our greatest claims to fame, there's all the food holidays, right? There's National Coffee Day, National Pizza Day, National hamburger day, whatever it might be. And a couple of years ago, we were sort of like, who is in charge of all of these days, right? They're they're not federal holidays, but everyone seems to know about them. And we reached out to the National Day calendar. Apparently they get, I think it's something like 10 to 20,000 submissions a year. So like a, a truly astronomical number of requests to create these days. And we realized there's National Chocolate Day, there's National Pretzel Day, but there's no National Chocolate-Covered Pretzel Day. And so we petitioned to them to create that on October 7th. Since 2019, every October 7th is forever National Chocolate-Covered Pretzel Day, courtesy of yours truly. It was the most fun experience. We were so excited when we found out that it was approved. And so now every year on October seventh, we celebrate National Chocolate Covered Pretzel Day. And we've got a big frame to prove it. I'm
0: sure, right. And I'm sure like on your website or your Instagram, you know, social media, you must go crazy on leading up to National Chocolate Covered Pretzel Day and such forth. Yeah.
1: It's our biggest holiday. That's for sure.
0: That's awesome. Well, I mean, all these holidays, I mean, you mentioned holiday gifts for companies, it seems like the holiday idea or the birthday idea Like those would all be kind of big opportunities for you to sell your product.
1: Yeah, you know, we do sell to local gourmet shops, mom and pop style locations, gift shops, but we're definitely more just the nature of the business, the chocolate industry in itself, definitely a little bit more seasonal. And again, far more focused on the gifting side of things. We're all about celebrating all the celebrations, big and small. And again, they're, they're truly affordable. So it's not something that'll, you know, break the bank and we ship nationwide. We make the process really easy.
0: Oh, that's good. So how do you go about deciding on flavors? This is from someone who loves chocolate. I'm sure most of our listeners do as well. It feels like there's so many options for flavors. How do you figure out which ones are going to be the most popular?
1: Yeah. So when we first started, we had a list of probably we are making 20 something flavors, which I don't recommend to anyone. It's That's a lot, right? We are. Not there yet in terms of that volume and of options. And we quickly found out which were more popular versus less popular. We would do tons of sampling. And this is before anything even hit the market. We had a sampling event. We would share with friends and family, get feedback. Ironically enough, toffee with milk chocolate was one of our original flavors. And we were this close. Very, very close. I know everyone can't see me, but very, very close removing that flavor from the roster because we thought there was already so much chocolate and toffee in the world. Good thing we didn't make the change. There's a reason there's so much toffee and chocolate in the world. It's because it's so delicious. Toffees are number one flavor. That's been one of the originals. We've had some flavor fails over the year. We've done things like spicy almond, which never really took off, though people do tell us they want more savory flavors are always exploring new routes. We had piña colada which just is not meant to be on a chocolate covered pretzel for for obvious reasons. So we've definitely experimented with lots of different options, but tend to stick with the fan favorites. People come back time and time again for peppermint, which is my personal favorite all year round, but people obviously love that more around the holiday season. And again, because they're so heavily gifted, The flavors that we're working with, people are more confident that the recipient will enjoy versus things that maybe are a little bit more obscure.
0: Right. You don't want to get too edgy But coming up with new flavors.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a fine line. But coming up with new flavors is always fun. We're always looking for requests. So if anyone has any suggestions, we are all ears. But lots of taste testing. It's a fun process. Which
0: is a fun process (laughs) for sure. Right, right. So when you, you and your sister started, was there a point where you thought wow, this is really going to work. Was there something that happened that you thought, you know, this is a great idea? And then all of a sudden you were like, oh, this is this is actually going to move forward. Are there marks that you reached? Are there specific like sale that you made that you thought this is going to move forward? Because I feel like anyone starting a business, especially like a food related business, there's so much chance of, you know, everything not working out. And I wondered how you knew this was going to be a go.
1: Yeah, I would say in those those early years, there were a lot of those moments. Every sale felt monumental. We were like, oh, we've made it. We've got a $500 sale, then a $1,000 sale, and just slowly building up. Looking back, I love all of those moments. Obviously, they may not have been as pivotal as as they seemed as they were in the moment, but we definitely have had some markers along the way. We've had moments of, this is definitely going to work, and a lot of moments where we're like, oh no, is this is this the end of it, right? It's a roller coaster is how I always describe the adventure of starting a business, not for the faint of heart, but we've definitely, I'd say in the earlier years, there's something called the Union Square Holiday Market in New York City that's been around for, gosh, like the, probably close to a hundred years. It's sort of like a staple at Union Square. Also a place that's very competitive to get into, which maybe ignorance is bliss. I didn't realize that it's so hard to to get a spot because vendors come back year after year. In the fall of 2012, we applied for a space. So we got it. We actually did a Kickstarter campaign to raise funding for the payment of the booth because it's quite costly. And that was our first sort of, I'd like to think, you know, announcement to the world. We were selling to more than just friends and family. It was from Just before Thanksgiving, through Christmas, people are coming to the market from all over the world, quite truthfully, a tourist destination. And it was the first time that we were selling to strangers and people were loving them. And I remember just thinking, like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Like, is this really working? It was that moment of just shock and excitement. A lot of hard work went into it. But like I mentioned before, I actually had a job lined up at Ernst and Young. I had interned there my The summer after my junior year, got the job. Worked really hard to make that happen and uh, deferred it. Forever grateful for them giving me that opportunity to move my start date twelve months later. Obviously, when I was starting to get closer to that start date, I reached out to them asking if I could defer it for one more year because I'm definitely a little bit more cautious in my nature. Figured it don't get what you don't ask for. They politely declined, which I completely understand. And it was at that point that I made the decision. Lots of support from my family, from my sister. We were really moving forward with this and I declined the offer and have been doing this ever since. So there've been lots of moments along the way to answer your question of this is really working and and I think it's really appreciating the small
0: the small wins. So you mentioned you majored in accounting and had this accounting job set up. When you were a student here, did you have any idea that you had some entrepreneurial leanings or that you might want to be interested in starting your own business? Or did that really all happen afterwards?
1: It really happened more in the moment. I think I started Cornell with every intention of working a corporate job. After sort of following the the more traditional path, I definitely surprised myself. I think I surprised most people in my life. By going this route again, I think Everyone assumes that entrepreneurs are complete risk takers, which in hindsight, I can appreciate the risk that I've taken, but I wouldn't consider myself personally the the biggest of risk takers. I still can't believe I am where I am, but I'm so grateful to be in this position.
0: Right, right. So can you talk a little bit about your time at Cornell? What kinds of things did you do and what kinds of organizations were you involved in? Or were you really crazy busy? Were you in the Dyson School or? where did you major in accounting?
1: Yeah, I was an A major at the Dyson School, focused on accounting, took lots of classes, obviously, within the major. I'd like to think that I took a bunch of other classes too, sort of extracurriculars, different different interests. I was involved in Greek life and a sorority, which is definitely something I think about as a big part of my experience. And the other part, which I recommend to everyone is I studied abroad my junior year in Tel Aviv and actually where I met my husband. So a lot has come out of my Cornell experience, to say the least.
0: That's great. So, when you think about what you've learned since you started your business, are there some things that when you look back on you think, oh, well, there are some traits I have or some qualities I have that do seem to like be, as you mentioned, like people think that entrepreneurs are risk takers, but I think a lot of people would be like you and say, I oh, don't, that's not really my. Main characteristic. Are there other things that you think you have, though, other qualities or characteristics that seem to line up with why you might be an entrepreneur?
1: I could never imagine starting this company by myself. I think my sister and I are a really great pair. The amount of work that goes into it from like things that are seemingly so small, from like starting a website or answering customer inquiries or things that seem so, so trivial, maybe in the moment, to Figuring out how to scale the business, how to make sure you're turning a profit, how to grow the company, grow the team. I think there are so many pieces of the puzzle that I'm in in such awe of people who do it on their own. I can't imagine. And you hear a lot of times that people talk about how it's lonely at the top, how starting a company can be really isolating. And I get that. And it it feels that way. Even with a partner, there's so many things that just you got to put in 150% to see to see it through and it's there's so many people that put in all of that hard work and it doesn't work out for a variety of reasons but i think that you got to be passionate about what you're doing you got to believe in it and i think it's important to make changes along the way like i said if you asked me a couple of years ago the thought of letting anyone else oversee the production of our product i would have laughed like there's no way that that's happening that's such obviously it's such an integral part of what we're doing but in the last year, two years, as we sort of went down this path before officially making the change, that was something that we recognized for the health of the company. Our personal goals evolve as we get older, make changes that work for, for the business and for ourselves. So,
0: so being flexible is an important trait to have. Yeah, being
1: flexible and and recognizing and where weaknesses may be and letting people who are better. At certain things take over those departments.
0: So, along the way, I'm sure a lot of people have given you, or maybe you've sought out advice on what to do next or what are some good strategies. Is there a piece of advice that you have received that you thought was great that you want to share? And is there any advice that you are glad that you didn't take that came from someone?
1: I've heard the advice from multiple people about saying yes to so many things, right? Make sure that you just have an open mind and say yes, always. Pursue the next opportunity. Don't turn anything down because you never know what might come of it, uh, which is I think a great piece of advice. I've also heard the flip side of it of it's okay to say no. I'd say taking those two extremes and applying them to the right situation has been really insightful. I think, especially when you're starting a company, you don't want to miss any opportunity, but it's all about opportunity cost because you're always gonna be pulled in a million different directions and it's really you know, someone once said, "Like just keep your blinders on and focus on what the goal is, and do whatever you need to to get to that goal or to the next milestone." I feel like they're very conflicting pieces of of advice, right? One one person says always say yes, and another says it's okay to say no. And I think it's they're both really, really great pieces of info.
0: And for your company, that would be like, do I? spend the money to be at Union Square Market for this long period of time? Or do I like try to do a partnership with something? I mean, there might be a million different opportunities that had come your way early on.
1: It could be from sponsoring an event where it's a huge investment on our side, but tons of exposure, which could lead to certain sales or God knows what to different events or engagements. where are just taking up the time. But again, it could be a great networking experience or there's especially in today's world, like the opportunities are endless. So I think it's really important to dial down. I strongly believe it's okay to say no, I think you got to have some sort of balance if if that's ever possible. You can't commit to everything. And I think we've learned sometimes the hard way, but if you spread yourself too thin, you won't be able to reap the benefits of anything truly.
0: So building on that, what are some things that you've done in your life, some habits or tools or strategies that you've done or that you do every day that keep you able to be balanced and to manage your family and your business at the same time?
1: I am definitely very organized in my email, working with Gmail, just like, I don't know, there's a new feature of of snoozing emails, which I find myself doing excessively, which is a great habit, but probably something I should work on just putting things off like in the morning, I sort of separate what needs to get done for the day remove everything else from my email so it's not a distraction, take care of that first and then sort of get to the next if I'm able to. Just trying to stay organized. I definitely take advantage of, of all of Google's features in terms of calendar, Excel files, scheduling calls and whatnot. I have a 14-month-old, so time is more precious than ever. and just sort of trying to stock my day accordingly to get as much done as I can before giving her 100% of my attention. Like I said, there's work-life balance is really difficult, especially when your work is your life and vice versa, but really do my best to give a hundred percent attention in, in whatever I'm doing. So
0: I always ask this fun question, which is what is one thing that people might be surprised to find out about you? Do you have any interesting hobbies or?
1: Yeah, I would say, I think I mentioned before I studied abroad in Tel Aviv 10 years ago, also 11 years ago at this point and I while I'm not fluent I speak Hebrew so working on becoming better at it but learned it while I was there actually when I came back to Cornell took Hebrew classes as well and then living with my husband for for quite a while at this point my Hebrew has significantly improved right. so
0: That's great. Were you abroad for an entire year or just a semester?
1: It was just a semester. Right,
0: right. I mean some students get the chance to take a whole year abroad which is so Amazing. So, yeah. Good for you. Would you tell us a little bit about any kinds of books that you recommend for young entrepreneurs who might be listening or business persons who you admire and whose career you've followed that might be interesting?
1: I would say, of all the entrepreneurial idols out there, that Sarah Blakely, the founder of Sphinx, is iconic. She has created such an empire and is so seemingly down to earth. In what she does, but has truly created an empire from. I think she was selling fax machines door to door and then was getting truckloads delivered to her house of packaging materials and prototypes of her product and things that, like, you would just never imagine that she could start from there and become where she is today and is so successful and supporting women just in so many ways with her company. She is someone I definitely look up to, hope to get to where she is one day and do so many amazing things like she has done. Uh, In terms of books that I would recommend, someone once recommended to me the book Radical Candor. It's about growing a team, learning to work with others as a leader. I think it's really important. It's really insightful. It's definitely an easy read, and I would definitely recommend that to others.
0: How can people find out more about Fatty Sundays or get their hands on some delicious treats if they would like to?
1: Yeah. So we have a website. Like I said, we ship out of New York nationwide. That's Fatty FattySundays.com. Check us out on Instagram at Fatty Sundays as well. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn directly, Lauren Brand. And if anyone wants to, to chat more, you can always email me as well.
0: Lauren at
1: FattySundays.com.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. It's been great.
1: Thanks for having me. This has been awesome.
0: Awesome. So to find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And I'm giving a special thanks to Abigail Younger, my editor extraordinaire, and to Bert Odom-Reed of the Cornell Broadcast Studio.